Welcome to the Build Up on Balls.ie in association with Labrooks. Please bet responsibly. Visit dunlewy.net for further information. Hello and welcome to the Build Up on Balls.ie podcast here in association with Ladbrokes. We are coming to you extra early this week because of the Ireland-Russia game, which is of course, of course taking place on Thursday morning. As always, I am joined by Mick McCarthy. Mick... I don't know if you could say we're excited for this Russia game. We're more uh, just hopefully we can get over it without any major shock. Yeah, I'm more thinking that the build-up weekend starts early, so we're going to get going on Thursday and we have a long weekend of sport to look forward to. That's about it, really, because <laughs> I'm very down on the Ireland rugby team at the moment, as we'll, uh, we'll talk more to yeah. Stephen Ferris about later. I was just about to say, we will be chatting to Stephen Ferris today about the Japan game, the... The experience of that match and uh, where, where Ireland can go from here. We'll also be talking to uh, Jason Quigley. He'll be getting us hyped this week for uh, Gennady Golovkin is fighting. Sir, he, uh, this is the hardest name in the world to pronounce. Give it a uh, go. Derevianchenko. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll take we that. Go. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I'm going to call him uh, Sir He. Uh, <laughs> uh, look we always talk to Jason about these fights and we like you know the Tyson Fury one was the last one that's grand but before that it was like Lomachenko and I went in at pop, like I always love Golovkin and I've always tried to watch his fights whenever I can but honestly sometimes they sneak up on you and the, the, the boxing world is its own thing and sometimes doesn't fit into the mainstream of the sporting weekend and after that I was so hyped for Lomachenko and couldn't wait for it and I think that he's going to do the same thing this for this fight, I have to say. Yeah, this is one that actually is... Um, I think it could actually be very, very competitive. Like, it's... Um, a couple of the other fights we talked about before, it was like looking at, say, what Lomachenko could do, how good is he, yeah. that kind of thing. Whereas this is one that... Even against, like, a good fighter like yeah, Campbell. Like, yeah. um, like Derevianchenko is a, an outsider for this one, but not that much. It's not... Well, definitely not beyond the realms of possibility that he could win this fight. He's also a hard-looking man. If you just, like, I just was looking at a picture of him this morning and thinking, I don't care how good I was, I don't want to get into the ring with this guy. Yep. He looks and, like he'd break you. Uh, Joe Ward will be fighting on that undercard as well, so we'll chat to Jason about that. And also coming up on the show, we have our big shout, as always, where people will try to win uh, two cakes in a sports biography by uh, pulling off a big 25 to 1 shout or greater. Uh, unfortunately, my big shout did not come off this week. Nope. But uh, I was full sure I was going to, but it just did not, uh, didn't transpire in the end. And Sean Meehan will be in chatting to us about football. We'll be making our 1 2 free picks. And we'll also have uh, your NFL picks coming up as well, Mick. You're doing okay. You didn't do as well this week, but. Uh, do you know what, actually? Let's delve into how we got on overall last week on the show. Mark, we're in a bit of a funk. We started off this show like a house on fire, uh, winning all round us. You know, we're only having kind of one euro bets on these things, sometimes imaginary, but we were flying. And then it evened off. And then the last couple of weeks, we've really struggled. We kind of just, we, we survived last week, and then this week was unfortunately no better. We'll start with your big shout. You got three out of the six right uh, in, a, in a football six-fold. <laughs> it's not ideal, really. Three you know, of them more uh, nailed on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Celtic didn't win. Arsenal didn't win. When Celtic aren't winning, you know, it's not, you know you've got a problem. And Wolves and Watford both didn't score. My NFL picks, right? So as I said, you can, bet, you can look at these as an individual picks, as a year-long thing, as I'm doing kind of like three a week against the spread or you can do them as a kind of a what works out is about a six to one treble the treble definitely didn't come off this week the new orleans saints bailed me out to get one right it was a 
really poor week. The Kansas City Chiefs were involved in a mad game, and I made a really stupid pick on Arizona that never looked like it was going to happen. But uh, one and two there, and six and three for the season. So still pretty good overall, as you mentioned there earlier. Kevin Doyle had a treble, as he does with us most weeks on the show. And this is where I really want to stop, because it wasn't a win. There's no way you can look at this treble and think, I could have made money on it. But he looked at it, he, he gave us basically an 8-1 to one treble for the Premier League last week, right? But he also gave the scores in them. And after we went on air, I worked out what it would be to pick the scores individually. And it turned out it was 1,129.50 <laughs> one. Right, so let's say a one thousand one hundred and thirty as a, yeah. as a as an even number to one, and in that treble he had Chelsea to beat Brighton two 0 he had Manchester City to beat Everton three one. What were the scores of those two games, Mark? He got them nailed on. <laughs> he did absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get the third result, or in fact, the overall result uh, uh, of the thing, because he picked kind of astutely, I would say, Sheffield United to get a draw with Liverpool. He went for two all. It wasn't that far off from being the draw and the eight to one treble coming in. But uh, Liverpool kind of do what they do at the moment and kind of grind out wins when they're not playing well, the same way as they did against Southampton earlier on the year but not too far off from Kevin there if he's getting that close every week he's giving us a run for our money Stephen Ferris uh, who we'll talk to in a minute his bets didn't come off either he kind of looked at two different Ireland margins of victory uh, 16 to 20 points 6 to 1 21 to 25 points 6 to 1 how did that game end again? Uh, yeah unfortunately Ireland we were looking at Ireland margins of victory forgetting to realise that Ireland had to win first Yes, and that didn't happen as we're going to talk about in a few minutes um, we did get hyped for uh, the World Athletic Championships and talked about Christian Coleman winning the 100 metres at uh, 6 to 10 so not great odds and it was a bit of a dead start but he did win it and then uh, obviously the people who don't that don't have were listening to the podcast last week because they weren't suitably hyped to actually go and attend the event yeah, the Dohans obviously weren't listening to the Build Up podcast, unfortunately. But uh, you know, we can we can spread our our goodwill and good name all the way to the the in kingdom time. of Qatar in, in time. I'm in time, say kingdom. Even if it's not, I'm going to call it a kingdom. Anyway, that's it. There's no more. That's it, Mick. Let's see if we can do any better this week. Um, as we mentioned, as always, be sure to gamble responsibly. Visit dunlewy.net for more information. This is obviously just a bit of fun, and our predictions can go awry at times, as last week proved. But let's see if we can chat to Stephen Ferris and if we can do any better this week. Stephen, the last time we heard from you uh, was on RTE directly after that Ireland-Japan game. I think like the rest of us, you are probably still in shock at what just transpired. Um, now that you've had a few days to think about it, what's your thoughts on that performance and where Ireland stand right now in the World Cup in general? Yeah, that's a pretty good question. I think um, straight after the game, there was a little bit of shock. Um, I thought Ireland played better than they actually did. Um, you know, I was giving Japan a lot of credit. And, you know, Japan did have a very good game, but on reflection and watching the video and um, breaking it all down, you know, Ireland did make uncharacteristic mistakes and, you know, they looked off the pace and was that due to the short turnaround? Was that the fatigue from, from some of the players playing those two games in six days? Um, I'm, I'm, I don't really buy that. I, I don't buy that, you know, some of the most experienced players in world rugby are, you know, really, really tired after six day turnaround. Um, so I think it's just the mistakes. Um, and Joe in his post match interviews and Joe um in any interview that he's done after that game has has been really really down, you know, he, he looks like a man who's under a bit of pressure and he looks like a man who really wasn't happy with his team's performance. Um, so to go back and, uh, and look through the game, I think it was a very disappointing performance by Ireland. Yes, give 
Japan credit where credit's due. But I think um, if Ireland are looking to create a bit of history and get past the quarterfinal stage, you know, a, a performance of that that level is just uh, you know it's, it's just not called for. And um, Joe and the rest of the coaching staff and the players will know that it's not good enough. Um, I suppose the biggest thing you probably like in terms of being critical of the team, it's it's probably looking at that going that they failed to adapt to what was going on within the game within that second half. They kept kicking the ball back to Japan. They yeah. weren't playing the referee right. You know they were giving away penalties, and it's that thing. Is it is it a like from your experience on the pitch? Is it panic that maybe just sets in among the players that this is something you know they start to worry that they might lose this game and that they're sort of the, there's no cool heads. You just need someone to actually calm the thing down there and get get. Ireland going back through the phases and doing what's right. Yeah, I think you need to try and find your groove. You need to try and find something that's going to spark you into gear during the game. And that never really happened. And the reason why it never happened is because Ireland just kept kicking them the ball back. So if you know, they they never really made Japan make too many errors. Um, and the only errors that they really made were were off the two kick passes in the first half where Ireland scored. Like Ireland made a couple of line breaks. They were um, it looked a bit more dangerous in the first half, but take away those two fifty-fifty high ball um, cross field kicks or the chip through off a penalty advantage. You know those twelve points, fourteen points, whatever it was, could have turned into six points, and, and Ireland could have might have might not got out of this game with a losing bonus point. I think even in the first half, you know, Cardi was getting a lot of credit, but I, I still think they were off the pace. There still wasn't something that was adding up, and. Um, I think they just lost their way in the game. There was 15, 20 minutes of the game that was just passing them by. Um, and, you know, I think they, they kicked off and Japan ran from their own 22 right up to um, Ireland's 22-metre line. And it almost reminded me of the Wales versus Ireland game in the Viva Stadium in 2010. I think it was where I got done for a spear tackle in, in the last minute and half penny stood up and kicked three points to win it. And, you know, it was almost like we couldn't do anything. They kept meter, making meters and making meters, and it just needed somebody to step up and make a big hit and just turn it around. And that's what I tried to do in that game. But unfortunately, I got penalised for it. And it felt like exactly the same thing, where they were just making meters for, you know, short carries, and Ireland just couldn't get their head around it. And sometimes it just needs a couple of players to stand up and be counted and, you know, make game-changing moments. And there just wasn't enough of them. Uh, against Japan, which was the disappointing thing. That's what I was going to ask you about what it needs from the players or whose job it is. Like, I mean, you're someone that knows what it's like out there when this kind of thing is happening. And it's like, so Jack Carty, you know, maybe kicks the ball away loose into into the 22, keeps it in play. When you're watching a home with a cool head, you're thinking, this game needs to slow down. You need to find touch. We need to stop yeah. this onslaught that's coming from Japan who are just going through phase after phase after phase at 100 miles an hour and we weren't able for the heat. Whose job is that on the field? Like, you know, in, in, in the white hot heat, in the white heat of battle, you know, is there time yeah. to kind of, when you're gasping for breath and you're too hot, like, how does that work that a team needs to get together and say, lads, we need to change what we're doing here, what, what we're doing isn't working? Well, I, I think the message would probably come from the coach. So when there's water being run onto the pitch, um, there, there would be messages coming on from Joe of what to try and do. Now, like if Johnny Sexton's on the pitch, it's usually a different story. Yeah. He recognises what's going wrong and he, he generally puts it right. I think there was a little bit of inexperience with Jack Carty. Um, Rory Best just seemed like a man who was gasping for air every time the camera was 
you know, panned on to him. Um, and I think everybody just lost the way of themselves. So I'm not really sure at the minute to answer your question. When I was there, it was a senior player who stood up and went, right, guy, get into a huddle here. As a pack, we need to take these guys on. What's the, what's, what part of the game before the match were you saying, Ireland, we're going to dominate up front? You know, they didn't mull them off the, off the pitch. They didn't pick and go around the fridges. You know, they didn't get into an arm wrestle and absolutely batter them up front. And I think, you know, when they lost that edge early on, and I think there was a scrum where they actually lost the ball or gave away a penalty early on in the second half, that just gave the uh, the Japanese a bit of a bit of air, a bit of oxygen, and they really smelled a bit of blood in that area. And Ireland just seemed to go backwards. But, you know, the players need to stand up. Yes, those messages should be coming in from the coaching box, but if something's not working on the pitch, you can't keep doing the same thing. And a team like Japan, if you keep kicking loosely, they wanted to keep the ball alive as much as they possibly could. Why? Because they think they're they're, they're a fitter team. They're more used to the conditions. And, you know, Ireland just didn't recognise what was in front of them. And as I say, the game just passed them by and it slipped away. And um, unfortunately, they paid the ultimate price with, with some lovely clinical play uh, with Fukuoka getting into the try. So, um, yeah, just key decision makers. Um, they usually have a a pack leader. Ours was always Paul O'Connell, um, and then you, you're out half control things. Um, somebody like Paul would have would have grabbed us and says, "Right, guys, let's make this simple. Let's hit a midfield target and let's keep going round and round and round the corner, and we just try and get them on the edge. At some point, they will tire. We got to outwork the opposition, and we never really seen that from Ireland. You know, we never really seen them trying to outwork Japan. It was always the opposite way around. So, um, yeah." Really, as you say, guys, it was really hard to watch at times because you were like, stop kicking the ball away. Stop giving it back to this Japanese team who just want to run and run and run. Um, and it was breathless stuff at times, but even still, there should have been better decisions made on the pitch to make their lives a lot easier. Um, what are your thoughts on there's like a, a weird sort of debate has sprung up now online since the game. I was kind of looking at, uh, obviously there's been lots of criticism of the team. We're talking about it here. We're talking about different aspects of the game that they did wrong or where they need to improve upon. But then there's people calling saying that, you know, the media coverage in general hasn't been critical enough of the team, that this was an embarrassment and all this. Yeah. And then you're like thinking, at the end of the day, this is sport. Like, it's not life or death. People talking about yeah. apologies and everything online. It's like, I just, I don't know. I don't grasp it. Like, obviously, I think be critical of the team and, and focus on certain aspects of it. But I don't know what people actually want in terms of analysis. Like, did they just want everyone to uh, write the team off and you know, forget about it? I don't know. No. Um, Mark, I think what everybody wants to do is for to get the knives out and start wielding the knives at, at the Irish rugby lads. You know, that's, that's what everybody wants. When Ireland get beaten, they want to pick up the paper and see them getting absolutely slaughtered. And that's completely wrong. Japan played probably the best game since 2015 in the Rugby World Cup. And they won and they beat Ireland by seven points. And Ireland had a pretty bad day at the office. So, like, to lose an international test match by seven points um, away from home in, in a Rugby World Cup is very disappointing from an Irish perspective. But at the same time, like, the lads don't, go out there to get beaten the Irish lads put in a lot of work and training they just got their game plan wrong you know on their day Japan were the better team and you know that's as you say that's sport you know the boys shouldn't be getting a ridiculously hard time just because they get beaten by the better team on the day I think what you know I could be slightly critical of is team selection 
Um, I think they should have freshened it up. They should give guys more opportunity. They, you know, guys who haven't been involved in a World Cup have had to wait two and a half weeks before um, getting an opportunity to play for Ireland. Um, and you just sometimes want to make everybody feel part of it pretty early on in the tournament, and they really had the opportunity to do that, and also to freshen the whole thing up. And um, you know, somebody like Dave Kilcoyne, you know, Ty Byrne, just breathing energy into this, into the team in a, in a game that's going to need a lot of energy. But yeah, the whole criticism thing, like it, it's Tomas O'Shea on Twitter, um, who I'd be friendly enough with, you know, get stuck in saying oh, this was a GAA match to be taken to the cleaners and, and all this carry on. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how people can change their opinion within six days when, um, you know, every Irish fan and people tweeting and sending Instagram shots out of, you know, Ireland going to win the World Cup and then six days later they're saying that they're absolutely crap and they're rubbish and they're never going to go anywhere. You know, it, 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 things can be fixed in a short space of time and I wouldn't rule this Irish team out. Yeah. It's also like, to be honest, I, I, like it's a criticism that's kind of based on nothing. It's just something that somebody is saying and everybody's jumping on a bandwagon suggesting there's no criticism. We've talked to you for 10 minutes, basically, where we've done nothing but criticize the <laughs> Ireland team. And it was the same yeah, after the match and it was on all three channels. So I don't I don't get it, to be honest. But uh, look, that's the modern world and that's the Twitter world that we live in. Um, I do want to the one person you kind of mentioned there with the with the. Uh, with the the team selection is Schmidt and it's something that I was talking a little bit about yep. here on, on our other show uh, World Union yesterday it's like there's an element that you could argue right and I'd be interested in your opinion on it that like the rugby has changed in the year since Ireland finished uh, you know an amazing 2018 but Ireland haven't changed like has the game yeah. in any way passes by we can play a game on our terms but can we play on another ones our lack of adaptability like as much as we all love Joe Schmidt and we're all really really sad that he's going to be going at the end of the year or at the end of the World Cup like he has to bear some responsibility for the fact that it doesn't look like this team is ready to move on with the game no and it's hard it's hard to disagree with that like uh, I think I said on RT at the weekend. Um, I was sent. I was sent a tweet through, and it said like all the analysis that Ireland do during the week and the game plan plan that they put in place for the game. If that doesn't work, then they don't have a plan B. They can't adapt. There's there's no, there's nothing else to come with them. Where against Scotland, they get off to a great start. The game plan was working. They stuck to it, and that was happy days. But if it doesn't work, then you know. Oh dear, you know what are we going to do? And I think that's what everybody's bugbear is at the minute: is that when Ireland do get into a sticky patch in games, that they they, they can't adapt to it. Um, and to be honest, that's not just the players' fault. That has to be the coaching staff. And whether that then attack and defence guys, you know, Ireland's defence hasn't changed since the 2015 World Cup. You know, they're still very vulnerable in the outside channels and nobody's talked about that. Mm. Um, there, there might be a lot of talking about it after a quarterfinal if you're going to play New Zealand in a quarterfinal because they'll definitely exploit you. So, um, yeah, I, I think responsibility has to be taken on board by Joe. And I think, you know what, I, th- I think with his post-match interviews and the, his demeanour and the way he came across after the, the Japan uh, defeat will kind of suggest that he is feeling it and he maybe did get a few things wrong. Um, and you know he's a bloody good coach so hopefully he'll learn a few lessons out of it also The one worry going into the Russian small games now is that like there are certain things 
obviously you expect to, well, we hope Ireland are going to get two wins uh, in the remaining two games but like there are certain things that we're not going to know until we go into that quarter final. So like so many different aspects of the game, even looking at the lineup, the lineup malfunctioned again against Japan. We might not lose another one in the next two games, but that doesn't mean that's solved uh, come the quarter final. Yeah. So what are you hoping to see? What can you think we can we actually can take from these two games? Um yeah, I think the Scottish game um was everything went the plan. Um our, our line out that was coming under severe pressure in the lead up to that game perform well. I think in general the line out against Japan, like Japan didn't really compete for a good bit. There was a couple of overthrows and um, you know, they got it pretty easy. I don't think Ireland have come up against a team well they haven't come up against a team that's had two or three men in the air and, and Rory's had to, you know, pick out Peter O'Mahony in between two jumpers from the opposition. And again I don't think they've been put under that amount that much pressure come line out time. Um in the games going forward it's just about getting guys game time, getting everybody feeling good, getting everybody mentally fit and fresh, um, and put some of this negativity to bed once again. Because if Ireland don't go out and beat Russia by fifty points, like you can be sure it'll be in the newspapers that Ireland still haven't recovered from a Japan loss after only beating, um, you know, Russia by by thirty points, and 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 probably rightly so because. We are a much better outfit than they are. Samoa, it's maybe not picking up injuries and uh, again trying to put a game plan in place specifically to, to not run into these guys all day long and just to, to vary it up. And the flip side is if we continue with the same game plan of this attritional game where they just go, you know, one out runners and just try and break a team down constantly for the next two games, then I'd be slightly worried going into a quarter final because. Mm. We've seen this here, as you said, there for for since the, you know the Grand Slam victory in 2018. We haven't seen anything else, and if we don't see anything else in the next two games, what's going to jump into our minds that anything else is going to is going to change? Can end the quarter final? Probably nothing. So, um, yeah, I, I think we've got to see a bit of variation in the next couple of games, uh, and obviously, first and foremost, lads, it's two really really big wins. Yeah, two bonus point wins are must, um, and we'll see what happens then with Japan and Scotland, the last game. Uh, the big game, obviously Ireland and Russia will have happened at uh, 11 o'clock uh, on, on Thursday morning um, by the time a lot of people hear this. So just in terms of looking ahead to the, to the weekend, uh, we'll all be obviously watching Japan and Samoa, hoping for some sort of uh, miracle upset. But, a draw. Uh, a draw, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, but I, I suppose from a, a rugby fan's point of view, England and Argentina is, the, is, is one of the games that sticks out um, on Saturday. Uh, England 14 point favourites uh, for this one on Adbrooks. Do you think that's fair? Wow. Um, yeah, I think as uh, a creevy who came out in the press and said that this is, you know, this is going to be a war. You know, that's, that's what the exact words were. This is going to be a war. Um, I think this Argentina team is going to be really up for this. Um, they're going to bring a, a level that we haven't seen yet. Um, and England, I don't think, have been have played to their full potential. Um, I definitely think England, England have the ability to go out and win by 25 points. They really do. On the other hand, you know, Argentina can make it really, really messy. Um, and they do have a lot of experience from the Jaguars playing week in, week out uh, together. And they do have a lot of cohesion, usually. Um, so, do you know what? I, I would probably go with Argentina plus 14. I think it's going to be a bit tighter. We've seen in this Rugby World Cup that 
teams are supposed to go out and beat other teams by 50, 60, 70 points and have cricket scores. Um, and we haven't seen it. We've seen a few upsets in Uruguay beating Fiji. Um, you know, the first couple of games, it was a lot tighter than everybody thought. So, um, yeah, I would go with it being a slightly tighter match than that. Uh, thanks for chatting to us, Stephen. It's, uh, if this roller coaster for a couple of months is, uh, keeps going the way it is, probably we'll be talking to you next week on an absolute high after a 60-point win. So uh, hopefully that's the case. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Cheers, lad. Yeah, great stuff from Stephen. That, that group is secretly great. I've been so focused on New Zealand, South Africa first, and then Ireland's group that you're forgetting that you've got some really good group games. Like the Pooh games still took forward to like Wales, obviously, against Australia was brilliant Class, at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got England, Argentina, you're going to have England, France. Um, so like there is, while the for the rest of the pool stage is going to be a chore for, the, for Ireland and just hoping to get through it and possibly steal that top spot still, there are those brilliant games to look forward to. And of course, Japan against uh, Scotland, which is the big one yeah, for us. next week, yeah. I love France being France, though. Like, playing the best rugby they've played in years in the first, like, maybe 50 minutes against Argentina, then nearly collapsing into themselves, and then going out and, like, very nearly shitting the bed against the USA, you know. But, uh, you know, they'll probably go and beat England by 20 points now, you know. Yeah. It's just, like, never stop being yourself, and France definitely aren't afraid to be France. The criticism thing there we were talking about earlier on, like, I don't want it to sound like we're, you know cheerleaders or anything for the Irish team that can't you know just call a game down the middle or whatever but, but I just not. I don't understand like as you mentioned the, so much of the coverage is actually criticising them it's just this thing of like I don't know what again as I said Stephen, I actually can't put in towards what people want is it some sort of lambast them call them out as the, out their character or okay. something can I stop you though who wants it who wants it there's a couple of people who are making this, who just have an answer for everything, right? Who, who want to say, so if Ireland lose a match in the Six Nations, we're like, oh, look, all the hype and this team isn't useless anyway. But if they win any match between the World Cups, it's no good because the World Cup's the only thing that counts. It's a narrative that is made before a ball is thrown in. The same person who says this match shouldn't have happened because Ireland and Japan aren't in the same uh, in the stratosphere. same stratosphere, and then deletes the tweet where they say that. Then has all to say about how Ireland, are, you know, how come they're not being criticised? It's a nonsense. If you didn't know any of that, all you would think of is people have been scratching their heads, wondering what's going wrong, why the players. All you hear about is why Schmidt wasn't making more changes for the game, how he picked the wrong team, and how the game management of the players is awful. What more is there to say? Do we should, should like? Do we want to go more personal or something like that? Because there is a, there is one other sport in the world that goes a little bit too personal, has kind of a little bit kind of rabid fans on certain things, and goes probably too far and the media certain parts of the media really buy into that others stand back and take a more logical approach but it's those who are in the logical approach looking at the rugby are saying what's going on where's the criticism what are they talking about it's a made-up narrative it's pure it's literally a propaganda machine that people jump on then on the back of a loss when they're looking for something to be angry about there, oh, let's have a go at the pundits. I heard nothing but criticism. I didn't hear one excuse made for Ireland. Actually, there was a few times, I don't think enough has been talked about about the referee or the conditions because people have been afraid of their lives to say it. Yeah, but, say. but the reality, it turns out it's not a black and white world that there isn't only two things in the whole world. It turns out the conditions were an issue, the referee was an issue, but Ireland still should have hammered Japan. Yeah. So you can, all of the things can be true at the same time. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I needed I to get that off my chest. Yeah, I, really I, I, I agree with you. Like it's one of those things of 
like the lads are in a World Cup. What do you think they're going to not bother their arse or something just because it's like, oh, it's, you know, that thing of, oh, it's like logically, you know, they weren't, you know, thinking of traveling to Japan and getting pulled back down to earth. It's like, I doubt that was the issue at all, really. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, 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 it does go back to an overall thing about rugby that really annoys me. annoys me is that, look, I grew up watching every sport. I'm not a particularly a rugby person or a football person or a GEA person. Probably be leaning towards GEA, if anything. But I, like, you know, I think that there's a silent majority of people in the country who are like that maybe they're not all experts on everything but they just like sport and watch it but the the media narrative and the twitter narrative at the moment that has been driven is by this weird divisiveness that i don't think exists in the majority you know and it comes from this this weirdness about rugby about this like this idea that you can have an issue with elitism in rugby right but stop pretending that it's not a popular sport stop pretending that people hate the ireland team or whatever or people have a problem with the ireland team because it's driven by marketing it isn't driven by marketing lansdowne road never going back to when i was a kid and ireland used to get the wooden spoon the five nations every single year never has any seats for 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 a irish international game it's always sold out. Rugby has always been a very popular sport with a big audience. Okay, is it as big as football or GEA in certain parts of the country? Of course it's not. But what difference does that make? It's still the World Cup and we're going there regardless of what you think of them and regardless of whether they lost to Japan or not. You went there as like ranked by mathematics as the number one team in the world. If that doesn't, like, fair enough, we might not be the best team in the world, but we're not exactly minnows either. So what's the problem with being looking forward to World Cup? Why do people have to take such anger why do people have to get so angry and so annoyed at other people's enjoyment of a feckin' sporting event and that's all i have to say mick it's time for a big shout all right hold it Steady. just hold it alan push him out steady david don't get round no don't bloody so mick nobody has yet nobody has won our uh, two cakes in a sports geography the prize up for grabs if you can give us a big shout at 25 to 1 or greater on Labrooks and actually have it come off last week as you mentioned earlier on the show I had gone for a a six uh, fold accumulator that did not I only got halfway there uh, Paul Doyle was another person uh, who who I, I liked his route we had a couple of entries last week uh, but Paul's in particular caught my eye because although it ended up in actually nowhere near coming off it was uh, it <laughs> was an intriguing prospect uh, so he was Bournemouth against West Ham to be a draw then, funnily enough this was the biggest odds of any of yeah, his treble Bournemouth well. was two all right then he had Burnley to beat Aston Villa at 19 to 10 ended up being two all yeah. as well Villa were the only team who were going to win it, though. Yeah, but you yeah. Know, it wasn't a million miles away. Went ahead twice. And, if you actually yeah. predicted the draw on that, would have been bigger odds. And then Man City to be leading against Everton after 15 minutes at 29 to 10. See, I like that sort of shout. It ended up they went ahead after 24 minutes, so he missed out on that by nine minutes as well. So that's what I mean. You got one of the three in the end, but it came to 38 to one. And look, at, if you're not going to get it right, you might as well uh, at least entertain us in the process of uh, yeah. getting it wrong. He only sent that in to annoy me. Villa were never going to lose to Burnley. We ah. should have won it. Like it was sickening, up, absolutely get, sickening. You're getting caught up on the Villa thing here now. I'm not looking at the. <laughs> <laughs> of this uh, proposal but uh, the likes of you know, to Paul and all the rest of people who've been sending them in make sure to keep sending them in to the gaffer at Paul's.e every week you can also get in, show, get in touch with us on Facebook uh, or on Instagram I've, through at Paul's.e and of course on Twitter but I've been watching the Great British Bake Off Mark it's high bake off season every Tuesday night just normally before we do this podcast and like some great ideas for the two cakes 
that we're going to send out to the first yeah. person to win this. Like Mick you know. has promised to personally bake both the cakes. Well, no, I don't, no, I, 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 I don't think our insurance would allow that because <laughs> of the possibility of poison. But uh, I know the types of cakes that we're going to get. Uh, well, you might be giving, your, giving yourself these cakes should you get the big shout right this week. What's your big shout for this week, mate? Yeah, so the reason we're doing it so early is that I've decided to stick with rugby. And this is just, I, I'm enjoying the Rugby World Cup. I'm enjoying watching all the different games. I'm a little bit just down by what happened with Ireland and obviously angry about the anger and so on and so forth and just really annoyed at how poor we were and how we really did like let ourselves down and it is hard to kind of look forward to the rest of the World Cup unless you're thinking about more than just Ireland so I looked at this weekend's games and I have included Ireland in this and I've gone for four things to happen that have combined for a bet of 37.26 to 1 now they're not that straightforward first of all Ireland, a winning margin of between 51 and 60 points against Russia, which is 3 to 1. The spread on this game is 51, is 54 points. So it's right in the middle of the spread. So it's like saying, if the, if Ladbrokes, the bookies are looking at this, they're kind of, we're kind of looking at five points either way, which is kind of generally the most likely. I don't like any spreads these high, this high. So I want it a little bit wider on either side of it, and it's 3 to 1. So, I like that. I worry about... I. It's one of those things, Ireland could play even not that well and just still run in four tries in the second half, you know, to build it up. So I'm thinking that... Uh, or, you know, late in the second half, I mean. So I'm looking at that to start out with. Then Friday morning, right? Italy versus South Africa. Italy have to at least target South Africa. It's the only chance they have of getting out of the group. They're not going to beat New Zealand. They're probably not going to beat South Africa either. But this is the one that Conor O'Shea is going to have spent a couple of years looking at in the way that Japan spent a couple of years looking at Ireland they're going to have a plan for them they've got a very very good coach and they've 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 been kind of Italy have been interesting they've been doing kind of one or two things well over the last couple of years without ever putting together in the same day and they've been very different and I think that they could have a serious plan for South Africa and I think that they could have a really really good chance of getting within what's only 29 points so it's Italy plus 29. 29 is a big bloody spread, in fairness. So I'm going to go for them in it. Then um, on Saturday, I'm going to go for England to win between 1 and 12 points against Argentina at 13 to 8. So that's going to the, the plus 14 that Stephen went for. Argentina lost to France. They're out if they lose this game. I think they probably will lose it, but I think they'll give it everything, whereas England might not be fully warmed up to the occasion yet. So... I like that between between 1 and 12. And then I'm going for Samoa plus 19 on Sunday against Japan. So here's Japanese what I'm thinking. Hangover. Here's what I'm thinking with this. A little bit of Japanese hangover. I'm also thinking that Japan have done this and have a serious chance to top in the group now. And they're looking at Scotland next week. And they have to... They're not going to have their eyes in Japan. On Samoa. Samoa are also a big bloody team and are going to kind of grind you down a little bit. They were hammered to Scotland, but I think they'll have looked at Japan and think that this is a game they could win. This is seed three against seed four, you know, and I think that they'll make life very hard for them and I, I can see them getting within 19 points. I, I can't see, I don't think Japan are a team to go out and hammer anybody. They could, didn't even hammer Russia in the first game. You know, that that's not the style of play they have. So that all adds up, Mark, to 20, 37.26 to 1. That's my big shout. But if, you think I'm an idiot if you went against me on all four of them and went South Africa minus 29 England minus 16 Japan minus 19 Russia plus 54 
and throw in Australia minus 51 as well against Uruguay, then you would have a bet of 24.35 to 1. So it'd be a... I think I'd rather... I don't think either of them are going to... It'd be a decent-sized shout. Yeah, I think I'd rather your okay. shout than the shout for the opposite to happen. Okay. But I don't think all of them... You know, someone that you're... But that's why I've, that's why I've picked them. Out. I've thought about them. Like, yeah. <laughs> some of them are going to come off, some won't. Uh, also, the Labrooks will be um, dropping in a one euro free bet to every Labrooks customer account online on Friday. So you could use it on the... You can use it on any sport, but you can use it on the Rugby World Cup and use it for that big shout if it uh, if it tickles your fancy. And of course, they've also got some super price boosts for every World Cup game uh, in the Rugby World Cup. So there's a... Uh, there's a couple of interesting shouts there, Mick, from you. I, I, I don't know if I'd go for it all in the one go, but it, it's well, it's you getting, wouldn't unless you were trying to do a big shout. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's yeah, hard, you know, you. But I, I had you're normally way more down on my big shouts than you are yeah, here. Have are you just being nice? No, I have a little something, something as well. Cooking. Okay, I want to keep you on site. On site, you'll hear something <laughs> later on in the show. But I've, as always, as I mentioned, if you are having a bet on these big shouts or indeed anything else, uh, be sure to gamble responsibly and visit dunlewy.net for more information. Now let's talk about some football. We're delighted to be joined now by Sean Meehan of the Ballsdotty Football Show to talk about football. Sean, how's it going? I'm okay. But before we get to you, Sean, Mick, I want you to play that big shout sting again. Why? Just play it. Play the bloody sting. <sighs> right, hold it. Just hold it, Alan. Push him out. Steady. David, don't. Get round. No, don't. Bloody. I'm back with an... Bloody. Un- what? I just interrupts you. I want to talk about the bloody sting. <laughs> <laughs> what have you to say that? I do enjoy it though it got nothing to do with like a 25 to 1 shout it's just a man shouting it's a man shouting it's a big shout <laughs> um, I, have back, I have an unsanctioned big shout I know it's not my goal this week but with the fact Kevin Doyle is usually on with a treble he, as we mentioned he came very close last week to come with a, a, an incredible one coming off I have one that's <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah this one's a little bit more realistic but uh, might not get any closer but look at I'm fairly sure this 29 to 1 treble for the weekend's Premier League action is going to come off you want to hear it right yeah Brighton against Spurs at home to Spurs Brighton and Hove Albion two places Tottenham only one 27 to 10 for Brighton to win. I'm going for Brighton to beat Spurs. Spurs are in free fall. They're a disaster of a club. Liverpool against Leicester. Kevin called it last week. Liverpool are there. They're, they're, at some stage, they're not going to win a game. Leicester City are flying 4-0 win against Newcastle last weekend. Liverpool and Leicester to be a draw, 17 to 5. Newcastle United against Manchester United. It's in the 1-2 free picks this week, which we're going to get to in a second. Look at... Man U are no good, but Newcastle are even less good. So I'm going for a Man U away win here, which then brings this treble to 29 to 1. Is that or is that not the tastiest big shout you've heard of in a long time? I Brighton aren't going to beat Spurs. See, I, but I had, I like, I, I, have a, I have a little bet here that I fancied as well. And is it's, it? It's, it's, it's is it a treble? It's not a treble. Well, like, it's, it's, it is a treble, but it's all to do with one of the matches you, uh, you, oh, ta- you were talking interesting. about. I too believe that Leicester and Liverpool is going to be a draw. Oh, but I I have a feeling that I know you're a big fan of this lad, Ireland's James Madison. Ireland's James affect- Madison, yes. As I affectionately call him, I think he's going to get a goal. Is he not injured? 
Yeah, that's he was. He was. He should be back this weekend, though. He'll be back. He's a big one. He'll be back. It was so annoying for me though because I have my fancy football and I looked at Leicester four nil against Newcastle. Holy Christ! Should Jesus five nil? Five nil? Yeah. Sorry, five nil. I didn't even see the last goal. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Madison must have done something. Must have done something in this, and then discovered he wasn't even playing. Like, um, and also, I've got an extra leg in that. I just, I think it's going to be over two point five goals. And well. Ireland, James Madison to score. Orleans James Madison to score any time any time he wants and any it's time, at a any, two all draw yeah that's what I'm thinking what's the price of that it comes to uh, 32 to 1 oh it's three big shouts play the fucking sting again <laughs> right, hold it Dave. just hold it Alan push him out steady David don't get round no don't bloody We've never had three big shouts, lads. If we keep doing them, though, we're going to actually undermine the big shout. Yeah, you'll get three goals. Like, if you're entering this week, actually, no, for one week only, anybody who wants to enter the big shout can send in three possible big shouts. And if one of them comes off, you'll win big yourself shout. two cakes and a sports <laughs> biography. <laughs> uh, we've lost the run of ourselves here. I don't know. I like, like, I think Liverpool are going to win. I think Liverpool will find a way of win these. If I was going to pick them, I wouldn't be picking them at home. Uh, you know to drop off but Leicester are a good team we've been talking about them on the show regularly they might be the team to do it it's weird that this game's on at 3 o'clock on Saturday I find actually it's almost too big a game for these days to be on I don't think like I don't think anybody anticipated sort of Leicester to be the team that are probably going to be in the top 4 well at least on form so far this season if Tottenham drop out it's not as if Arsenal and Man United are knocking on the door Exactly. And Chelsea aren't exactly... It's, there's yeah. a top two now and then about seven teams, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. I think you could go even further down the league as well. Really, like these, yeah. Those teams are... They're poor, to say the least. Like, And I think they all just kind of group in as one. And Leicester, especially with Rodgers as well, you've got all these different kind of... Uh, Storylines as well. Rodgers yeah. going back to Anfield. You know he'll want to do. He yeah. want to do them. He'll want to do them. Uh, what's on this week's football show? Uh, it's up on Bosley Podcast now for anybody who wants to listen. Sean, you were on it. What did you chat about? Uh, we talked about well, just that about how you know there is a top two, and then the likes of Manchester United and Arsenal, once bastions of the Premier League, are now. It, they the match that they played was basically like like just two mid-table sides going at it. I was, I had decided it was like two drunk, two drunk and blind pigeons fighting over a sausage roll. Yeah. And like particularly like aggressive but in the wrong way. Like they misplaced aggression. aggression. I mean, I suppose that's just Granite Jacket though. I was about to say, Granite Jacket, another yellow card. (laughs) What is wrong with the man? Well, he he is the captain now. He is he, so he's the one that he also dived out of the way of uh, McTominay's McTominay shot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. He also didn't go out and rush him as well. So McTominay had a, had all the time in the world to go spank that ball. Yeah, I would have been more annoyed at that than that. I think it was more of a natural instinct that this ball is hurtling towards my head and that you're just your your body the the lizard brain part of you automatically ducks out of the way of that oh, yeah. <laughs> going object. Yeah. it's more than not getting out to close them down but just don't be in that position if you're the type of guy that fans think isn't yeah. given enough you know uh, yeah. before you go Sean our one two free picks this week um this is the chance where you can win 100 euro cash on labbrooks.com by just correctly predicting the score. I say just, it's a very difficult thing to do. I haven't done it yet this year. Both but of us got zero out of three last yeah, week. Just to, to add to earlier in our misery about how none of our predictions came off, that was the 
crown yeah. achievement. But there are lots of people actually winning this, winning a hundred euro cash. If even if you only get one right to get a euro free bet, if you get two right to get a free five euro free bet, you can play it up for absolutely free on Labrooks.com. This weekend's games are West Ham against Crystal Palace, Southampton against Chelsea, and Newcastle against Man United. So lads, I'm gonna get you one, two free picks live on air right now, starting with you, Sean. West Ham against Crystal Palace, what'll the score be? I fancy West Ham to win. I'm going to say 2-1. 2-1. one is, I think, if I, going through this uh, for the season so far, I've picked 2-1 in so i picked the 2-1 scoring more often than I've picked anything else, I'd say. It's always the one you kind of go for when you're plucking out of the sky. I don't know why, but... Uh, oh, make, I'm not plucking this out of the sky, Mark. Don't, don't be putting words <laughs> in my mouth. I know it's going to finish 2-1. Mick? Uh, 2-0 to West Ham. 2 nil. Did that sound like a man plucking the scoreline out of the sky? <laughs> <laughs> Palace are feisty. I just uh, West Ham are a decent side. Like I think they 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 could be the ones making the run. The Wolves like run this year. I did. I I talked on the football show about just how much I love Andrei Yarmolenko. Yeah, I was about to say Yarmolenko. I was looking at him last week to buy for fancy football. I was torn between him and Harry Wilson. And then of course I look at West Ham scored and I was like, wonder who got that goal. Who got the goal? Bloody Yarmolenko. He's actually secretly very, very, very good. I watched them on Monday night last week against Villa and it's the first time I've seen them play on like more than match of the day in a good while. And I was obviously watching it just from a Villa point of view and was annoyed. And like it was nil all and West Ham didn't have that many chances. But what kind of really stood out to me was their quality. Like as in they just were way better in all the like again they didn't really create many chances they were away from home and I think happy enough with a draw but they just like had a very very good team Rice was running things in midfield Noble is still a very very good Premier League player and everything around them when you yeah, get like you, Lanzini, Yarmashenko, all these guys are all way better you know yeah, you kind of you go through each sort of position and you're like they've pretty good players in all of them like even Cresswell kind of proved his quality against uh Against United, with scored again kick. at the weekend. It's like scored against Bournemouth. You know, like you've got Issa up at centre half, who's a yeah. very good. And Cresswell's not even in; he's not first choice left back. So, yeah, you know. Jesus. Um, so yeah, after that, you've talked me into a West Ham win. I think they're going to win two one against Crystal Palace. <laughs> surprise, surprise! Uh, Southampton against Chelsea. This is a tricky one. I, I I've gone for two one again. I've gone for two one again. <laughs> to um, Chelsea. To Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, I just I just you've changed it up from two one to one two. <laughs> I just feel as I feel as though that they have they they'll, they'll have too much for Southampton. Uh, they got their first clean sheet of the season last week, and I, I just think that it's gonna they they're rolling now. Maybe I I'm, I'm not quite sure. I like how it uh, mixed so much into this game, and this doesn't happen just on the podcast. This happens anywhere when we're doing sound checks, anything like this. Anytime anyone says one two, Mick just can't help but shout out free. When I say so, one two, you say free. <laughs> <laughs> so Mick, <laughs> Uh, uh, check check one two one two one two three one two three uh, Chelsea uh, just to move this off as quick as I can uh, we talked about earlier about the like t- top two that everybody else if Spurs don't come back to what they really are at any stage and who knows what's, what's going on there then I think Chelsea are kind of out on their own as the third team aren't they like I think they are once they they, they seem like they're getting yeah, it together I, I think Chelsea are going to be a solid third place and a, and a very very hard team to beat they should be like it's it's down to it's it's down to just how bad the teams around them last season are now. Yeah. Um. And also now you've got Kante coming back, coming back, and he's going to be fully fit. Yeah. You've got the likes of like Reese James. Hudson Odoi is coming back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, like you look at I, I think Chelsea are going to turn a corner as soon as they realise that 
you can play as Piliqueta back at left back and put Rhys James in at right back because he's better than I would say most right backs in the Premier League straight away. Yeah, and, he's, and he hasn't even played in the Premier League for Chelsea. Yet. Yeah. And when have you got like? I presume Loftus Cheek is probably a couple of months away still. He is, is he yeah. like? But he's there after Christmas. Anyway, that's nothing to do with this week's one, two, three. But I think Chelsea have turned the corner, as you said yourself. And Southampton is definitely not an easy win. People seem to be like even Liverpool only nicked them by a goal. Spurs nicked them by a goal. I think Chelsea might. I think they might win three one. Ooh. I too think Chelsea will win three one. This is. We're very similar in our picks this week, and like Which is I, a good sign that Southampton yeah. are going to get something off yeah, Chelsea. It's just a general um, last one: Newcastle against Man United. I'm going to start off the betting here, and I'm going to say Newcastle are going to lose two 0 to Man U. I can see that happening. I can see that happening. I think. Uh, what are you going? You're going two 0 as well. Going, I was going to say three one to United, Manchester of the Manchester variety, because like two to you're dead right. Um, when you were talking about it to me earlier that they're you know they're two teams that are sort of devoid of hope um, they're just kind of floating in the Premier League I think League I said year. on a uh, we do a one two free video which you can check out on uh, our social media channels and on site and I think I said this week that if I could bet them both to lose I would do it yeah um, and I, 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 to be honest if if they were playing any other team like if, if Newcastle were a home to any other team in the in the Premier League bar Manchester United I'd probably fancy the team that are away from home to do them by more and if Manchester United were away to any other team in the Premier League I'd expect them to lose relatively handily but this week is it's just tough yeah United the reason that even though they've been in a constant crisis for about five years now it does they do kind of still get these wins two out of every three times or whatever which means that they can at least stay on the right side of the table and I can see them do that again but I also can't imagine a sort of a Monday morning United are in crisis Solskjaer has to go media narrative that takes over the world because they draw one all with Newcastle and have yeah. 10 points from 10 games I, I can see it but I'm not going to predict it I think it's just going to be 1-0 though yeah. nil. Newcastle putting 7 lads you know, 10 lads behind the ball for the whole game Lads, when you actually, when you play the one, two, three, after you made your selections, they show you on the Ladbrokes website what the odds uh, for the treble is. Just the score, not the, not the actual scores, but just getting the, the results right. And we've all gone from the same, same three results. West Ham to beat Crystal Palace, Chelsea to beat Southampton, and Man United to beat Newcastle. And that comes in at 5.92 to 1. So that's nearly a 6 to 1 treble. I think it might have a little... Just uh, for the results. A little go of that at the weekend. Mm. The consensus will kill us. That's yeah. what I was going to say. There's no way that these are the... It's it's strange that it is close to six to one, given that the three of us have all gone for it independently. Yeah, I tell you that's an interesting one, Sean. Thanks very much for coming in. For thank you for your one two three picks. Thank you for your uh, your shout for Leicester against Liverpool. Uh, I'm glad to see we're all we're me and you are on the same wavelength with everything this week. You've got the draw with the Liverpool game. You've got the same three one two three picks as well. Not maybe the scores, but at least the results. Uh, let's see if we'll uh, be right come this time next week. Anyway, let's get hyped about Golovkin versus Derevianchenko with Mr. Jason Quigley. So when you see Dre, a DJ on the mic, ask what it's like, it's like we're getting hyped tonight. Because if a strike, it ain't for you. Jason, this is a fight that's been coming around, almost accidentally happened despite being planned for a year and a half. So about we had... Uh, Golovkin stripped of the belt because he wouldn't fight Derevianchenko. Then uh, Derevianchenko was uh, stripped of the belt because he wouldn't fight Canelo. Then, uh, then Canelo was stripped of the belt because he wouldn't fight Derevianchenko. And now he's back in and we've had the fight we were supposed to have all along. Yeah, this is... Um, Derevianchenko seems to be the, 
the man that no one wants to fight because he's a great fighter. He just doesn't have the publicity appeal the way that the other fighters do. He doesn't have the same attraction. He doesn't have the same draw about him as uh, the likes of Canelo and the likes of Triple G do have. So, definitely Derbyshenko has been the avoided man recently and we can see why he is. He took Danny Jacobs to a split decision defeat. You know what I mean? Danny Jacobs beat him on a split decision and it was a very close fight. A lot of people could have argued for Derbyshenko that he won that fight and a lot of people could argue that the right decision was made when uh, Jacobs won the fight. So, this is a very interesting fight. As I said, he's the avoided man. No one wants to fight him. But I'm so happy that the, the rules are in place from the IBF that the mandatory has to get his shot because everybody knows that boxing is a business too at the end of the day and it's what makes the most sense. Selling out tickets-wise, TV-wise, everything like that. And as I said, every single just isn't that type of a draw. He isn't that type of a fighter. But he has the capability and he has the talent. So mm. this is the best thing about the IBF. They always, you get into a mandatory position, you'll always get your shot to the IBF, and that's uh, that's a brilliant, it's a brilliant thing to have in boxing, definitely nowadays. Yeah, beat Golovkin, and he'll have a he'll have a pretty big profile. I'm interested in what you think of like the middleweight division in general. Like obviously, uh, you know, there's a you mentioned Jacobs there, kind of you know he beat. Um, Davichenko, Golovkin, Canelo, like it's kind of the the division where like it, it's sort of the division to play in at the moment, really, isn't it? It's the division where everything's happening right now, um, and the heavyweight division could be very much the same, but everybody's saying with different teams, different promoters, different things like that. But the special thing about the middleweight division is everybody's with the zone, and this is why the middleweight division is so hot right now because all of these fights can be made. You have the likes of Demetrius Andrews, WBO middleweight champion. You have now the vacant IBF title on the line for Triple G and Dervishenko. And then you have Canelo with all the other belts. You know, this is an exciting time in the middleweight division. And as I said, the key factor here, the most important thing is they're all signed with the zone. All these fights can happen. So it's an exciting time and not only an exciting time for boxing fans but the fighters themselves because all these fights can be made and the fans and the public will get to see who is the middleweight king out of everybody. Mm. The zone thing is huge actually because it just makes the, make sure the fights are going to happen but you you know when you look at these lads and you see you know what's there do you see kind of like that's who I want to be in with or do you see like god why do I have to be in <laughs> why can't I have one of the divisions where some some rube some rube is <laughs> is world champion I can take <laughs> it off him Yeah like look of course everybody everybody will look at it in their own way but you no know, the type of person that I am and, and the fighter that I am, I don't want to go out and win a world title and people be like, oh, who did you box? Yeah, <laughs> you know what course. I mean? Yeah. I want to go out and win a world title and be like, I beat the man. And, you know, that's what it's all about. It's about becoming world champion. Nowadays, there's a lot of people that can become world champion in an easy journey. You know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of belts out there now. There's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of politics out there in boxing. But at the end of the day, I'm lucky I'm in the middleweight division. All the top guys are holding the belt. And uh, I hope they're just sitting and keeping them warm for me, whatever is my turn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what sort of fight are we looking forward to now? What style of fight um, would you be anticipating on Saturday night between Golovkin and uh, Drevianchenko? Is this going to be a box office one or is it going to be a bit more of a, a technical uh, battle? I think this is going to be a very, very entertaining fight because the two of them aren't sluggers, but the two of them aren't boxers either. They like to kind of keep that mid-range, that mid-distance, and use, like, mainly power shots. And the both of them have a very similar style. They're both from Eastern European. They both kind of grew up in the same sense of training, the same sense of styles and techniques and everything like that. And they've both had massive amateur experience. You know, so the two of them are very smart fighters. They're going to come in there and they're going to clean each other's face for the majority of the fight. I think it's going to be an interesting fight because Devachenko hasn't been in with anybody that can hit as hard as Golovkin. So Devachenko hasn't been really rocked, hurt, or dropped much in his career. And as we all know, <laughs> Golovkin can take some serious <laughs> shots himself. So this is going to be a very interesting fight in the terms of if Devachenko can take Golovkin's power, I think that this year fight could go the whole way. And I think it could be a very close one on the scorecards. Is Golovkin... Um, do you think he's still at his at his best? He's thirty seven, obviously. In in that should like in these days, that doesn't that isn't as old as it used to be, if you know what I mean. But do you think he's still kind of at his at his prime? Obviously, the last time he he beat Steve Rolls last time out, but the last time we seen him in a real real big fight, he lost that majority decision to Alvarez. Yeah, and I think that question is going to be there and um, we can't really go off it of his last fight against Rose because Rose had never been to that level. Golovkin was a heavy favorite, everything like that. I think this is the fight now that will tell if Golovkin has passed his prime and if Golovkin has passed his death. And no matter what, Golovkin seems to live a good life. You know, he's a clean fighter. He doesn't seem to go mad after fights, blow up and wait, or go partying crazy like the Ricky Hatton stage or anything like that there. So I think that that will stand by him. But life always takes its toll, and you can't beat back Mother Nature. He is 37 years of age. He is definitely pushing on. Things aren't going to be as sharp. His reflexes, everything like that there, aren't going to be as sharp and as good as they used to be. But he has a massive test in Devachenko, and he will test every attribute of Golovkin. And after this fight, we will know now if Golovkin is still at his peak or if he is fighting the slide because Devachenko is the type of fighter. I'm not saying this, that he's coming up a lesser fighter. People have to understand as well that Devachenko is a world-class operator and belongs up there with the likes of Golovkin. But on paper, Golovkin should be beating this guy. And if he doesn't, then we know he's definitely on the side. Just looking at the odds uh, for the fight on Ladbrokes, uh, Golovkin's 2-9, to uh, Devonchenko's 7-2. to two. But By the sounds of it, you might probably think that's a little bit overpriced. Yeah, I think, look, 
I think that um, Jarvisenko is definitely going to cause a massive threat for the last game. And I think that if anybody out there likes to take a chance, Jarvisenko is a massive is a massive bet. I think for uh, decision one going the distance, and I think. He definitely is worth a few pounds, you know what I mean? Because he's a top-class operator, he's getting his opportunity now. He took Jacobs to a split decision, and I think that it will be a very close fight. I am going with the last game on point, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few people out there taking a chance at the price of Bevichenko and giving him a little bit of a go as well. Yeah, by uh, decision for Golovkin's eleven to eight for Devrachenko was six to one. So it's one of those you could have a little float on both ways. <laughs> you know, if, if that six to one yeah. comes off, you'll make your money back anyway. So uh, yeah, it's definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's 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 shaped up. We talked you know, with a couple of fights we were here um, that we were chatting to you about uh, before. You know, it was it was looking to be a little bit one sided, and there were things you watched. You know, we were just watching out for in terms of Lamachenko or Fury to see how they get on. But this looks to be the the most the one that's the uh, toughest to call so far. Yeah, it definitely has, you know, and the likes of uh, Fury fight, I thought it was, would have been one more excited than it actually was. But then again, I thought there was time where Fury could have got walled out of there. I wasn't too sure, you know, there were times in that fight. I think the cut at the end and the way the fight finished made it look a little closer than it, than it actually was. But this fight now was the likes of... Uh, David Chang going Triple G. I think this is definitely going to be a good fight. Um, because of Golovkin's age and everything like that there, I think that, that this could make the factor of it being closer than it should be. As I said, on paper, I think Golovkin should go out there and should beat David Chanko a good few rounds in decision. Um, if not, I think David Chanko could make this one very close and very tight. Uh, before we let you go, Jason, as well, uh, Joe Ward is fighting on that undercard against uh, Marco Delgado. He's a heavy favourite for it. He's 1-50. to 50. Uh, What sort of fight will we be expecting here? I think we're going to expect a bit of a master class from Joe Ward. Um, he's going to be excited. He's going to be buzzing for this fight now. This is a pro debut, and he's on a massive undercard. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is going to be a great fight for Joe Ward. Uh, the guy that he's boxing has a pretty good record. I think he's five ones, one loss. But don't think this man has ever been in with the likes of a Joe Ward before. And I think that Joe will uh, will outbox him very easy. I think that Joe will start landing a few heavy shots. Is it a six rounder? I think he's going straight into. I think so. I'll... Sorry, one yeah. sec. He doesn't have it on the um, card. He doesn't have it up, but I think I'm, I'm near sure. I think I've seen it. It's, it is a sixth rounder that he's going into. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think that this this going to be uh, this going to be a good it's going to be a good fight for Joe now to showcase his skills. And uh, I think Joe could could get a late stoppage here, maybe from the third round on. I think Joe will outbox him, pick him, poke at him for a few rounds, and then I think Joe will get him out of there and then a few rounds. A debut in MSG uh, in the Golovkin undercard is not a bad way to start your pro fight and probably shows you uh, what your um, promoter thinks of you. And, you know, it looks kind of like, you know, at least for now and at least in the opportunities he's going to get, Joe Ward probably made a good decision in in skipping out on the Olympics next year. 
Yeah, without a doubt, you know, that's the, that's the big question every amateur fighter has to ask himself, and I had to do it myself. Um, yeah. You know, these things are, uh, these, these are difficult decisions, but Joe Ward has been there, he's done it. Um, I think he might have been getting a little bit of feel training with Irish team and going to the same tournaments year in, year out. Um, you know, I think Joe just needed something new, something more exciting for him. And I think this is the perfect thing for him. I think he has made the right decision. And it, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where Joe can go in his professional it, career. It's so hard to believe he's turning 26 this month. Like, Joe Ward has been around forever, you know? And I know he was such a young guy coming through, but he's all he's been, like, world-class. He's, like, one of these kind of, like, Eastern Europeans guys that, like, you know, is, like, one, this kind of legendary amateur who turns pro. Like, but they're normally 32, 33. Like, he, this guy's 25. Yeah, Joe is always, and I think everybody in the Irish team has seen it. You know, he's, uh, he's just progressed. Since he started winning the senior title, he has just flourished, flourished, flourished every year. And I think Joe's only problem and only issue was not getting excited or not getting up for some of these tournaments. You know, that was the only time that I think Joe would have ever faltered or anything like that. But now, I think Joe is so excited. He's ready to go with something new, new goals, new ambitions. And uh, I think we're going to see the best of Joe Ward. Uh, this weekend coming and uh, go after number six. Yeah, hopefully it's a it's a good night for Joe. It's a good night to showcase his talents, and uh, we're also looking forward to that Golovkin fight. Now you've suitably got us hyped, Jason. Thanks very much. Nice on the way, lads. Good talking to you. Great stuff from Jason Quigley there. He always does a good job of getting us hyped. I have to say now he's done a he's done a better job than you did last week making the World Athletic <laughs> Championships. So yeah, I'm more hyped about this fight, albeit that at least yours was on at a reasonable hour. This is three in the morning. I know. But, uh, I'm going to put my hands up and say that I didn't do a good job. I think that was the first time I wasn't even hyped after trying to get hyped for the World Athletic Championship. However... Jason is the man because he bloody knows what he's talking about. And that I am so up for this. And I can't wait to watch Joe Ward either. Like, you know, Joe Ward, by the way, is like mentioning there what age he was to Jason, you know. Joe Ward never medaled at an Olympics. They went wrong for him a couple of times. And because of that, I think people have forgotten that we're talking about Ireland's, you could argue, best ever or one of Ireland's best ever men's amateur boxers anyway in the career he's had to medal three times at a world championship two silvers and a bronze he won a european gold his career was absolutely insane i know jason said that it wasn't maybe always it wasn't always there maybe he peaked for the world championships and maybe like as i said like it didn't go for him in the olympics is where you're ultimately judged but as a complete span of what he did it's unbelievable. And you think that he's turning 26 at the end of this month and he's launching on a pro career. He's already fighting in Madison Square Garden. He's got Lou DiBella behind him, everything like that. He's He's got that kind of style and he did very well in the World Series of Boxing as well. So there's no reason to think he's not going to be a good pro as well. Give him two, three years. Joe Ward is someone that we really, really need to be keeping an eye on and following, you know? Yeah, it's great that we've another Irish boxing prospect. We have so many of them already to get excited about, but uh, Ward definitely making his pro debut keep an eye out for that he should win it hopefully he should win it as Jason said really at his ease but uh, this is just the start of much brighter things to come one thing before we move off get hyped Mick I have one more thing to get hyped about right this week a little small thing not going to take too long on this but WWE Smackdown everybody remembers Friday Night Smackdown from their youth right then it went it was, it was a court <laughs> Thursday Night Smackdown 
I'm much younger than you, though. It was Thursday night, then it was Friday night, and now I think it's Tuesday, isn't it? You're much younger than me, so it was... It used to be Thursday, then it became Friday, and then it moved off Friday again. They've never really found the day. You're much older than me. Yeah, sorry, I am. (laughs) (laughs) You got me so confused there for a second. But then they moved to record it on Tuesdays, uh, and used to put it up on a Friday, which kind of everything was spoiled on the internet, because everybody knew what happened. Then they went back to being live on Tuesdays. Now they've moved to Fox, which is probably one of their biggest TV deals. I think it is their biggest TV deal ever. It's going to make SmackDown arguably the biggest show the WWE have bigger than Raw. Yeah. So it's moving to Fox. It's moving to live on Friday nights. Is it? This Friday night, The Rock, the man that SmackDown the show was named after, he laid the SmackDown in the late 90s on everybody. He is returning to SmackDown for its debut uh, in a show that will have a headline fight of Brock Lesnar against Kofi Kingston for the WWE World Heavyweight title. Now, I don't think... I should be the one to get you hyped for that fight because there is one man that does it better than anybody in the business. Paul Heyman, he is uh, on-screen Brock Lesnar's advocate. He is the man behind, uh, he's the lead producer, executive executive producer on Monday Night Raw uh, in real life. And uh, just listen to what he has to say about this match coming up on Friday night. You don't get to talk to Brock Lesnar. I talk for Brock Lesnar, okay? My client's actions tonight were wanton and reckless. I can't deny it. It's a part of recorded history. And for those actions, I apologize to Rey Mysterio and Dominic and their entire family. But if you want someone to blame, don't blame us. Blame Vince McMahon. Blame the ownership and the management of WWE for allowing me to schedule Brock Lesnar on the Raw season premiere when you know Brock Lesnar is in fight mode. This Friday night, there's a lot of wannabe tough guys in WWE. There's a lot of wannabe tough guys in this industry outside of WWE. There's a lot of wannabe tough guys in mixed martial arts. There's a lot lot of wannabe tough guys in professional sports and not one. Not one of them can do a damn thing about what Brock Lesnar did tonight to Rey Mysterio and Dominic, and not one of them can do a damn thing about what Brock Lesnar's gonna do this Friday on the SmackDown premiere on Fox to Kofi Kingston. You wanna see history get made? Kofi Kingston can thank God every night for the power of positivity and his talent, but the devil thanks me because my client Brock Lesnar lines up the victims, like Rey Mysterio, like Dominic, like Kofi Kingston, because this Friday on Fox, this is not a prediction, it's a spoiler. You will hear these words. Your winner and new reigning, defending, undisputed, WWE heavyweight champion of the world, Brock Lesnar. There is Paul Heyman, the greatest hype merchant in not just WWE, in mixed martial arts, in boxing. No. You know, if you got him in to hype up uh, literally any sport, he would have you G'd up for the weekend. He's referring there to uh, Brock Lesnar beating up Rey Mysterio and his son, pulling his son Dominic out of the crowd and pummeling him on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> right. So uh, okay. I'm, I'm hyped. I love how he, he's ta- he takes the WWE Championship and every time he mentions it, he seems to add a different word to it. So it's not just he's going to be the WWE Champion. He's going to be your new reigning, defending, undisputed WWE World Heavyweight Champion of the World. <laughs> it's ridiculous. All right, Mark. Okay. But anyway, it's speaking on. of American American sports, it's on this Friday night. It's on uh, Sky Sports over here at 1am live. Um, well, 1am Saturday morning, obviously. But it's, it's uh, 
only one of many big American sports happened this weekend. It's one that's actually probably not even a real sport, if I'm being honest. But what's definitely a real sport, real sport is the NFL. And you're back with your NFL picks. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know how to follow uh, Paul Heyman there, I have to say. Uh, a lot of shit. More shouting than we've had on the build-up. And that includes me giving out about internet trolls. But uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so anyway, I've gone... I'm going, I'll, keep this, I'll keep this quick enough. I've gone for three other picks. Very hard this time of year, though. I did predict that last week, that it was just like week four is generally where it just becomes a little bit tough they've got the spreads right and you kind of don't know what's but at the same time it's still a bit wacky where you don't know the yeah. teams well enough where kind but of you anything also, can happen you also were stupid that you didn't go with the Dolphins uh, to, or well the Dolphins to lose against the spread yeah so the Dolphins haven't beat the spread now four weeks in a row and I would I, w- I would have learned my lesson only they're on a bloody bye week mark can you believe my luck so I can't pick the Dolphins but uh, it is still tough because wacky things can still happen like the way Tampa Bay beat the Rams this week in a nutso game so it, it you know it, 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 there's going to be lots of weird things happening but we'll give it a go anyway we're 6-3 and three for the year this week I'm going to go for the Saints minus 3.5 to the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers they bailed me out last week by a big win um, against the Cowboys late Sunday night so I think they're going to do the business at home to the Bucks or division rivals there I've got Danny Dimes Daniel Jones and the New York Giants uh, they've, they're have 2-0 since he became a starter took over from Eli Manning and uh, they're plus five and a half at home to the Minnesota Vikings Vikings have way more talent on their team than the Giants I just think the Giants are on a bit of a roll I think the fact that they're at home and I don't think the Vikings are playing well they were terrible against the Bears this week and speaking of the Bears I am controversially going for another home underdog in the Oakland Raiders plus five and a half against the Chicago Bears this week the Raiders got a surprise win last week they're two they're two and two so far this year and it just can be a little bit wacky anything can kind of happen in one of their games so I'm banking on that happening again the Bears don't have a great offense they do have a brilliant defense so I can just see all their games being closer than possibly they should be ver you know against their talent level they, that's in london actually now that i think of it so even though i've said that they're home underdog <laughs> i just remember that the game is in london i think it's in tottenham stadium uh but i'm sticking with it anyway I'm sure going, wacky uh, things happen in tottenham stadium as well do, as we yeah. saw on tuesday night absolutely so uh let's see if uh the oakland raiders can do a bayern munich to the chicago bears that's uh but the 10th time Tottenham Stadium has been uh, mentioned on this podcast over the last couple of months and it's also the 10th different name we've given it. <laughs> it's the Tottenham, it, the Tottenham Hotspur Lane it is it? Yeah. The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. <laughs> but uh, that's it. That, that's the end of your picks, is it? That's it. Three picks. Three picks. You Saints be- plus 3.5. Giants plus 5.5. Saints minus 3.5. Giants plus 5.5 and Oakland plus 5.5. Cool. Well, look at Mick. Uh, my beloved Bills lost last weekend to the Patriots. The Patriots yeah. So I'm trying to Get, keep my enthusiasm up for this NFL season and I'm going to have a maybe I might have a little flutter on those picks to see if it can uh, keep me interested going Feel free. Um, but thank you very much Mick thanks to everybody else who took part in the show thank you to Stephen Ferris and Jason Quigley thank you for listening of course as we mentioned if you are having a bet on any of these predictions uh, it is always just a bit of fun and be sure to gamble responsibly and visit dunlouis.net for more information if it's your first time listening be sure to subscribe to the podcast you can find us by searching the build up on balls.e and all good podcast apps or indeed by searching and balls that podcasts on any of your podcast apps um, if you do already subscribe be sure to rate and review the show it would mean an awful lot to us but until we chat to you next week mind yourself <laughs> <laughs>